Hi there, voice teachers. It is Nikki from Full Voice Music. Today's podcast, podcast number 27, is the second part of our podcast about lesson pacing for young singers. This episode has 10 super duper fun music activities for young singers. These are teacher and student tested, and we have fun educational activities, games, and exercises that are going to help our singers learn about their voices and the very important music basics that they need to know. And I guarantee they're going to make your singers smile. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, resources for private, classroom, and choral music programs. And here's your host, Nikki Loney. Hey, voice teachers, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast, or should I say welcome back. This is the second part of our two-part podcast on lesson pacing for young students. Now, we all know that lesson pacing in the private lesson studio is challenging for any discipline. But when you are working with beginners, there is so much you need to consider. Now, if you haven't listened to podcast 26, the first part of this topic, we talked all about student focused teaching. And please check that out. We shared a ton of teacher tips and teaching uh, teaching strategies uh, that really cater to the needs of our students. Private lessons are about facilitating an amazing curriculum for the individual. And there's lots of great stuff in Podcast 26. Uh, now, I was uh, when I was looking over my notes and when I was putting together the content for this podcast, I was originally going to call this podcast Activities for Your Voice Students Ages 12 and Under. Uh, but when I was looking through my notes, uh, I realized that most of these activities... Uh, I do with students of all ages. I do them with all of my students, including my more advanced teens who are preparing for university auditions. And I also do this with some of my adults. Um, I've even thrown some of these things at some professionals that have come to me. Um, So for those of you who are working with kids 12 and under, um, my personal favorites, we have a gold mine of great teaching strategies. And for those of you who work with them 12 and up, well, you know you can can never have enough activities. And many of these teaching suggestions are fantastic for any age. In fact, you can ramp up all of these activities and make them incredibly challenging for your intermediate and advanced level students. So diving in to the top 10 activities for all your singers. So the first one, uh, and this is where I get started with all of my singers, but uh, it's tonic solfa activities. Now I'm talking movable dough, and I am not going to get into the conversation about movable dough uh, versus uh, fixed dough. That's that's another podcast. Actually, it's not a podcast. Movable dough is the way to go, especially with singers and especially with young singers. The tonic sofa system is brilliant. Um, this system is so helpful in so many ways. I was very fortunate. I had great music teachers in public school, high school, and in, in post-secondary. And I used this system all the way through uh, for my entire education. And um, it's 
it's a very useful way to learn so many different things. Uh, but what I love about this system with young singers or beginner singers is that it allows us to work with them unaccompanied. That's right. No singing and no playing the piano with young voices because they need to hear themselves. They need to develop confidence in their singing. And I know that um, many teachers will play an exercise on the piano and they will sing the exercise with them. And, and the thought behind that is that we're supporting them and we're helping them out. But really what we're doing is we're just giving them a place to hide. And lots of new singers, beginner singers, love to hide their voices from you, don't they? It can be really frustrating when an entire lesson is spent begging the student to sing louder. Anybody taught one of those lessons recently? They're not fun. Now, what I do with tonic solfa is this is where I start. Before I get into technical exercises using the piano, I start with these games and activities. And um, what I have in my uh, studio is a, well, I call it the tonic solfa wall. Um, I have big, they're eight and a half by 11 tonic solfa cards placed on the wall. I'm going to put a picture on the podcast page if, uh, if you want to take a look at that. And uh, it, it's ascending. So it's the scale ascending. The cards are placed on a diagonal moving up. So there's a visual cue of the pitches moving up. And this is probably my most important, what I'm going to call learning station in my teaching studio. I do a lot of work with my singers here and I use this wall with all of my singers and I actually, my husband who teaches guitar and mandolin, um, he sometimes actually uses my tonic sofa wall in his lessons when he's trying to explain some concepts to his instrumental students as well. So um, I use it to explain uh, all sorts of concepts, especially music theory. This is a visual tool that is really helpful. And instead of asking my students to sing scales, triads, arpeggios by rote, we go to the wall, I explain what they are singing, they have a better visual picture of what it is. They're not staring at my piano keyboard. Um, now, if you have a smaller teaching space, you could use a bulletin board or even the back of the door of your teaching studio. That's a great place for a little tonic sofa wall. And if you don't have any tonic sofa cards, fear not. You can download different sizes from our website. We have a teacher resource page. No opt-in. You don't have to give me your email. Just visit thefullvoice.com backslash free resources and just scroll down. You'll see them there. Um, now, the first game that I do, and I love this game, and I've done this with my private students. I've done this in classrooms, in small ensembles. It's a great, fun little game. So I call it follow the hand. I know I could probably come up with something more clever, but that's what I call it. The first game that I use to get my singers singing confidently, discovering their voice away from the piano, uh, is we go to the tonic solfa wall. 
Um, we established Do. Now, if my students uh, play piano, I get them to find middle C for me and play it. We establish Do, and we start by just singing up and down the scale. Now, for my really little ones, I do use the tonic sol fa hand signs, but those are optional. I find students that struggle with pitch can really uh, get a little more confident and help from using the hand signs. Um, hand signs are also really good for the wiggly students that are like really, really, you know, they need to move, keeps them busy. So uh, you establish Do, and then what I do is I point to the tonic sol fa card that I want the student to sing. Now I start simple. I might only move in steps and repeated notes, and I, I, I get the student to sing all by themselves. Now, obviously, if they make a mistake, I'll correct them, but I don't jump on them. I, we Making mistakes is all part of it. Uh, and when they get more confident, then, you know, maybe we go further up the scale. Uh, when they get, uh, when they've done it a while, then we move into singing triads, singing skips, singing larger intervals. My students that are preparing for university auditions, I do some really mean follow the hand. I make them do some really challenging intervals. I make them sing degrees of the scale outside of the triad. Um, there's so many ways that you can use this simple little exercise to really get them singing. And this is essentially an introduction to sight singing. Don't tell them that. Uh, but it is. You're, you're asking them to follow and read and think and listen, and it is a fun game. Now, um, the, uh, on our website, for those of you who are new to doing these kind of games using Tonic Solfa, um, we have a little six-minute masterclass video on our website that shows this game on a desk, and we're using the little mini flashcards that we have. Um, but uh, it gives you a really great idea of how you start out simple. You can really challenge your students. Kids like this game. Now, for our shy students, you know, you, you may need to go really, really slowly. One of the little things that I like to do with my shy singers or my little singers is uh, role reversal. So I teach them the game. I point to the tonic sofa cards. I make them sing. And then I say, okay, you are the boss. You're the teacher. You point to the cards and I will sing. They love that. Now, some of your sweet little kids are going to do really, really simple ones. They're going to go do, re, mi. Um, but then you say, no, I want you to be the meanest teacher ever and make it really hard. And you will see their faces light up. And then they will jump around and they will do some crazy intervals and make you go high do, low do, up to la, up to t. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And students that are shy or students that need to have some fun before they come out of their shells, perfect game. So that's follow the hand using tonic sofa flashcards. So moving on, number two. This is also one of my all-time favorites. I do this with my private students. I do this with small little groups. And just recently, I was working with a 5-6 classroom of kids, and they also had fun. So all you need is a chair and your piano. And you start by introducing uh, major and minor triads. 
discussing the sound quality. So keep it really simple. Major is happy. Minor is sad. Or ask the student to use their own words however they want to describe those sounds. And it's actually interesting to get their perspective. Um, when you play a major triad, they have to stand up. And when you play a minor triad, they have to sit down. And you'd be surprised how quickly they kind of catch on. Um, now, what's interesting is sometimes, uh, especially with our little ones, our beginners, sometimes they get confused with high and low for uh, major and minor. So you have to maybe go over that. And if they do make a mistake, I always like to go, you know, if they think that it was minor, but it was major, then I'll play the minor sound for them. I'll go, no, no, this is minor. And they'll go, oh, right, right, right. Um, now, once they get comfortable with that, then you add the diminished triad. And when they hear the diminished triad, they have to cover their eyes. Yes. Tell them not to smash their eyes in. I have students that get really excited and then they, they smack their faces. Um, then uh, when they get good at major, minor, diminished, then I like to add in augmented. And I, and I always say, you know, to me, the augmented chord sounds yucky. So I'm going to put my hands over my ears. And then you put in those four triads. When they get really good at that... Then you give them the dominant seven chord, and then they have to give you jazz hands because it's a jazzy chord. <laughs> um, you'd be surprised how quickly your students get really good at hearing the different sounds. Not only is this a listening exercise, but it's a physical exercise. It gets them moving. Again, you got a kid that has to move or a kid that's just got some energy to burn off, that up, down, up, down, sitting and standing and listening, it's a really great exercise. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'll play a major chord and then they stand up and then I'll play a minor chord and they sit down and then I play the major chord and they stand up and then I just get faster and faster and faster and then they look at me and we have a good laugh. It's really great way um, to help a student. Maybe they've had a bad day and they just need to laugh a little bit. Super activity. Now, what I do sometimes with my older students, once we've established major, minor, diminished, augmented, dominant seven, is I put in the mystery chord. So I'll just play a four-note chord, something that we haven't talked about, but I want, to, I want them to identify that they're like, no, that's the chord I don't know yet. So that becomes a mystery chord, and uh, I, I get them to either shrug their shoulders or just say mystery chord, and then maybe we talk a little bit about the chord that I played. This activity always makes my students smile. If a student comes in and they're in a grumpy mood or they're tired, I go to this activity. It peps them up. It gets them laughing. And it's a great way to introduce ear training and identifying sounds. So moving on. Number three, tongue twisters. Everybody loves tongue twisters. I make my adults do them too. Um, I have a jar in my studio. The students reach in and pull out their tongue twister. I just printed up some tongue twisters on uh, pieces of paper, cut them up. And uh, I call it the tongue twister jar of torture. Um, now, I started using tongue twisters in September thinking that oh, I'd be fun for a week or two. But my students now demand them. 
and it really opens up some great teaching, learning opportunities. Um, I've had lots of really good conversations with some of my singers about the articulators, the tongue and the teeth and the lips. Um, I've noticed a big improvement with my students' diction. And after we work on the tongue twisters, if they're singing the repertoire and I'm not hearing the diction, then I just simply say, let's put all that effort into the tongue twisters and put them into our songs. And they immediately go, oh, right. Um, So this is, again, a fun game. Uh, Encourage your singers to speak slowly. Also encourage your singers not to get their neck or their chin too involved. Sometimes instead of utilizing the articulators, they start to like move their head and their shoulders. So I always kind of watch for that. Um, Now, I want you to be very careful, very mindful. If you have singers with speech impediments, lots of kids struggle with S's. Maybe they have a bit of a lisp. Um, Be very careful. And uh, because if you give them, if you give them a, a tongue twister with a lot of S's, that can make them really, uh, that can really make them uncomfortable. Um, so just be careful. Uh, but it's a great way to talk about language and um, and how we form sounds. And I've had some really great conversations with my students uh, using the tongue twister game. All right, moving on. Number four copycat singing games. Call and answer. This is a listening game as well as a singing game and it really helps singers to tune into pitches. Now I recommend that you start with voice to voice. So you sing a note and have them repeat it and then maybe play a note on the piano and have them sing it back to you. Start with simple one or two notes gradually increase the difficulty as they develop their confidence and their singing, and then keep increasing the difficulty and the challenge for your students. Um, Copycat singing games are really good. And what's interesting is um, uh, you really kind of get to understand how a singer is kind of experiencing their voices. Um, because if you go like too high or too low and you can see, are they searching for that note? What are they doing physically with their bodies? Are they pulling their chins down? Are they lifting their necks up? And you can actually address um, technique corrections in something like this by asking them to, you know, keep their, keep their, their, uh, their posture in the right position. Lots of good ways that we can talk about technique with nice, fun little games. Now, moving on to number five, copycat rhythm games. Beginner musicians, including singers, need to explore rhythms. So again, you can start by just clapping a rhythm and then having the student repeat it back to you. Or you can play a rhythm on the piano and then have, or play a a rhythm. You could pick one note on the piano and play that rhythm. Or you can play a little melody and then ask them just to clap back the rhythm to you. And, or if you have a percussion instrument somewhere in your room, totally use that. Everyone likes banging on a drum. Um, This is an activity that is uh, part of many conservatory examinations and something that is often done in auditions for children's choirs or uh, ensembles. So including this activity in in beginner lessons, it's a really, really important activity. And some of our students will be really comfortable with 
rhythms, and some of them really struggle. So again, make it fun. Um, uh, and you know, sometimes I'll say to my singers, I'll say, do you want something like crazy, 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 crazy hard? They always light up. They're like, yes. And then I'll clap like a, a pretty simple one. And they'll be like, that's not hard. I'm like, okay, you asked for it. So we play little games like that. Now, number six, this is a big one. Feeling the beat of music. Ooh, this is an activity that is so important for singers. Many singers, from six years old to professional singers to adults, struggle with this skill. And it is unfortunate because a singer that struggles to feel the beat of the music is going to struggle, period. Singers who cannot feel the beat, feel the pulse, are going to be a nightmare with the accompanists, and they're not going to be able to practice at home. Now, this is a really good uh, activity when you have a singer that needs to rest their voice. You know, they've, they, their voices are tired. Maybe they're just coming off of a cold or a cough, and they're not 100%. Um, I like to do this when my singers just are a little bit under the weather. Uh, it's a listening activity for sure. Uh, so what you're going to do is you're going to play some music. I'd start with moderately paced and then help your singer to find just the quarter note, just tapping the beat and watch how they use their bodies. If, if you see them and their bodies get really rigid, you know, you're going to encourage them to soften and relax and just feel. Maybe they tap their hand on their hip. Maybe they clap their hands together. Maybe you just get them to nod to the quarter note. And just let them listen and feel. If you're playing a piece of music that has drums, ask them to listen to the drums. And then ask them to listen to the bass. Really getting them to explore the other sounds that they hear in music is really important. And I think it's often overlooked. Um, once they're good at finding the quarter note, then encourage them to find two and four. Remember, friends, don't let friends tap, clap, or nod on one and three. Encourage them to soften their body when tapping the beat, then introduce different tempos. Maybe it's just listening to the accompaniment of the song that they are working on without singing and tap along. Now, my teens and my adults who are getting into jazz repertoire, this activity is mandatory. I make them listen to different tempos, different grooves, and I make them move to the beat. I make them, I call it the jazz nod. I make them do that. If they can't feel that beat, they're not going to be able to perform that music really well. And, and that's, I think, something, like I said, often overlooked. Um, now, for your older students, teach them how to count in a song, an important skill that many singers have no idea how to do. So, again, feeling the beat of the music, moving to music, tapping to music, clapping to music, finding two and four, important, important stuff. All right, moving along. Number seven, written work written theory work, writing stuff down. 
when we were first developing the Full Voice Workbook series, and we did uh, almost 12 years of research and test groups, we knew right away that we wanted to develop a student workbook, a book that the students could write in. Because when we gave our, our students that were part of the test groups um, pieces of paper that they had to fill out um, and activities that they had to do, we saw much better progress, much better engagement, and students understood the, the concepts, understood, understand it, oh my gosh, <laughs> the students understood the concepts much, uh, much better when they wrote things down. Now, there's lots of studies out there, and the last one I read, they, they say it's 30 to 40% more info when we write it down. We remember it. We retain it. I know that university uh, lectures are encouraging students take notes notes by hand and not type into their computers. They've done studies where the kids that write it down understand it and the kids that are write, are typing it in don't. Um, now, for kids, writing uh, helps them to slow down. Kids sometimes are just, their brains are just flying, they're, they're, they're everywhere, their eyes, and you can see it. You can see it when they're, they're in your room and their eyes are just darting everywhere and they're really distracted. Sometimes handing them a pencil, making them slow down and making them write down gets them back gets them back into the space and thinking and processing the information that you're getting. Now, this is one of the things that um, I notice. Uh, forever, I had an electronic, like a calendar, and uh, I was trying to be very tech savvy and use my electronic calendar. And last year, I just said, this is stupid. I don't remember anything. I forget my appointments unless my phone beeps at me and reminds me I wasn't remembering things. So I actually started doing a bullet journal and I can't recommend that enough. I write down what I got to do. I write down my little lists. Um, my, I also have a thing for pens and books, but writing stuff down makes you remember. It's a great activity. So whether you are using the full voice workbooks, whether you are finding uh, other resources, and there are tons of resources out there where you can on occasion hand them a piece of paper and the activity is on the paper. I also don't recommend this for homework. A lot of teachers are like, ah, uh, yeah, I get my students to do uh, theory, but it's done at home. I don't agree with that at all. Not with young singers. Um, they need our help. These are new concepts that that they're just learning and sending them home with some music theory homework is not the way to go. And it is not a waste of lesson time to do a little bit of writing work in each and every lesson. I cannot, I cannot express that so much. They need our help. Otherwise, they're going to come back it's going to be done incorrectly, and then you have to spend the lesson fixing it, and you end up wasting more time. So written work in the lesson is really great. Now, number eight, um, I love my whiteboard stations. Speaking of writing, uh, kids love writing on the whiteboards. I like writing on the whiteboards, and I highly recommend 
the Ultimate Music Theory whiteboards. Um, UltimateMusicTheory.com. That's my friend, Glory St. Germain. She is an amazing educator. And a few years ago, she came out with two sizes. And I love this. So she has a student whiteboard, which is about the size of your music stand. It's perfect for desk work. Um, and then she also has a teacher board, which is much bigger. Um, but her boards have a piano keyboard on the top. It has a little circle, because if you're doing like circle of fifths kind of thing. And then it has two staves on it. And they are sturdy. They I probably use my whiteboards almost every lesson with my students. Um, the back side of the whiteboard is blank, so you can play games, draw, play tic-tac-toe, whatever you want to do. Um, anyhow, they are great. And sometimes what I do is when I'm explaining a concept, I get the students to do it on the whiteboard first, and then we move into our workbook and we work on the smaller stuff in the workbook. It's, uh, again, it's, an, an, it's a different station in your teaching studio. Um, it offers uh, more activities, a variety of activities, and our young students need a variety of activities. So, uh, continuing on, number nine, I like this one too, uh, exploring the score or repertoire hide and seek. Our singers of all ages need to understand the musical map that is placed in front of them. So make it a game whenever possible. Before diving into repertoire, uh, talk about the music that is in front of them. You will be surprised. Many of our students Putting a piece of music in front of them, it's its this strange symbols and the words are spaced out in a funny way and there's all these extra lines and symbols. It really is overwhelming. And I have a lot of adults that come for lessons who've been singing their entire lives who cannot follow the score. That breaks my heart. So this is a really important um, activity to do especially when you're introducing a new song. And I love to ask my students questions. I don't just tell them, oh, this is this, this is that. I make them find it. So, you know, ask them, how many bars are in the intro? Um, where are the bar numbers? Can you find bar 25? Um, play the intro and ask them to follow the notes that they hear. And when you've introduced a new concept, so say you're working on something like music theory, like dynamics uh, or articulation markings, go back to the repertoire and ask them to find those markings, those symbols. Uh, they really like the challenge. And uh, again, getting our students familiar with music right from the very beginning, what a gift. What a gift. Yes, we might sacrifice a bit of lesson time doing this, but down the road, our students will learn their music faster. They will be able to participate in more activities because they can confidently follow the score. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, and again, I think it's a really important activity that is often overlooked in vocal music lessons. Our singers need to be able to, to at least follow through a score um, and, and know and feel comfortable with what they see. All right, moving on. Last, I just had to move my paper there. Last one, number 10, flashcards. 
oh, you know what? I'm going to go back for a second. The other thing that I like to do when my students are exploring the score is read the text aloud. The words look funny. The way that words are uh, extended and hyphenated because of the notes, that is so confusing. And sometimes choral music, if you're introducing young singers to their first three, two or three part, take your time to go through and explain whose line is what. And this is the piano. This is the first part. This is the part you're singing. I remember getting my first piece of choral music and I think it was uh, SSA and it didn't make any sense to me at all and thankfully I had a great public school teacher Mrs. Rivard she set me straight Um, so with uh, beginner singers it's really it's really easy to assume that they would understand it um, but we always want to make sure that they have those skills Uh, kids by the way are um, they don't ask for help and they are brilliant con artists So don't ask them if they understand. Ask them to find something or perform it. Then you know they know. Okay, now we can move on to number 10, flashcards. Flashcards are fun. Flashcards are a really quick, fun way to, to, and it's it's a really quick way to learn a lot of information. Now, tonic sofa flashcards, we have the mini flashcards. Those are great for activities. I also use the note naming flashcards when my kids are getting into the notes on the staff. Um, There are lots of iPad flashcard apps. Uh, Now, Ultimate Music Theory has a huge flashcard app for music students that includes, I think it's something like over 6,000 music-related flashcards. Um, It's really incredible. Now, I like to use good old-fashioned flashcards, and sometimes I'll bring out the iPad just to mix things up. I don't do a lot of iPad uh, teaching in my studio, but sometimes it's great to bring those, those devices out. So... There you are. 10. Great. Music learning activities that can really enhance your lessons. And these activities help our singers to develop musicianship skills that are so important. So here is my challenge to you. Number one, pick one activity that you have never tried before with your singers one activity and then post it on our page. Let us know how it goes. On our podcast page, there is always a space for comments. So if you try maybe a flashcard game or feeling the beat of the music, let us know how it goes. Number two, try some of these activities with your older students. That's right. Give your adults a tongue twister. And again, let me know how it goes. You'd be surprised. Number three, if you have any other activities that you and your students just absolutely love, would you kindly post these activities on our podcast page? We are always about sharing great ideas and we would love to hear from you. Um, I guarantee trying some of these activities, you are going to see smiles. You will see greater progress with your students. And whether you teach half hour or 45 minute lessons or hour lessons, the time will fly by. I get the, is my lesson over already? I get that a lot. And I love that. That's a student that's had some fun. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. As always, I am wishing you an inspired day of teaching and happy singing. 
You have been listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and free teacher resources, please visit our website at www.thefullvoice.com. Made by Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca.